Coffee Room Conversations is brought to you in partnership with Dirt Path Publishing. What started as a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing work for social impact now also includes coaching and editing services for writers led by a small and mighty team of former high school teachers. These folks know how to have the hard conversations writers need to have in service to producing their very best work. And they know how to have those hard conversations with love. For more information about coaching and editing services for writers, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. Anyone who worked at San Lorenzo High School during my 25 years there as a student and a teacher knew two things. One, if you needed something, you needed Mary Milton. Two, if you were in a hurry, you needed to avoid Mary Milton. Mary was born to serve, guided by both her faith and her family. In this interview, I heard stories I never heard before in all of our years working together and mulbing together. In thinking afterward about how it was I had never heard these stories, I realized it was because Mary is usually too busy asking questions to talk about herself. Infectiously curious, infinitely giving, and the most supportive human you will ever have the good fortune to know. That's our Mary Milton. I didn't see Mary in the copy room very much because she was our school librarian. I say that with great reverence for librarians, and I also say that a bit hesitantly because she was so much more. Mary was our teacher, whether you were a student or a staff member. When I had a student ask me about Mexican repatriation during the Great Depression, and I had no idea what it was, side note, I'm gonna put a pin in this to return to a future episode when we talk about history curriculum and the damage it does. I went to Mary Milton to find out. One, we didn't have the internet at school then. And two, who needs Google when you have Mary? She first taught me how to say it. It's repatriation, not reparation. Kind of opposite, in fact, she said. Then we researched together what it was. Dumbfounded by my own ignorance, I asked Mary to help me assemble a list of topics not taught in the 1990s in U.S. history. And then I asked her how to guide my students through the process of researching these topics with a card catalog and index cards, mind you. Mary was my roommate on Yosemite. She'd ask questions until I fell asleep. When we woke up, she'd say, good morning, Miss Nicole, did I snore? I sure hope I didn't, don't lie, tell me the truth. Did I, did I? She did. In fairness, my anxiety, especially in those years, didn't allow me to sleep well when I was away from home. So even if she hadn't snored, it wouldn't have mattered because I was awake anyway. Mary was always in charge of appetizers, and every night we'd get to the dinner table already full, which made whoever was in charge of dinner perpetually annoyed. I know, I know, she'd say. You know me, I can't help myself. Every night we were in Yosemite, this was the refrain, for over 20 years. My faith and Mary's faith share a common core, and when we bring that faith to our teaching, knowing that there is no greater service to God than to serve one another, There is no greater way to serve one another, if you have our particular gifts, than to teach. And to teach, you must first be willing to learn whatever lesson is put in front of you, even the ones that come in the form of students who are really, really hard. In those cases, what's needed is our learning 
not our teaching. So best we walk into it with the most generous and open heart we can, because if we don't learn it then, we'll be given a chance to learn it again later. You're going to love Mary and the lessons she offers us. Just know, if you see her when you have to go to the bathroom and you only have a few minutes, best you quick walk the other direction. Because if she sees you, she'll follow you right into the bathroom to talk about your lesson with you while you pee. In the restroom or the classroom, Mary embodies what it means to belong to one another and to know for sure that there's no such thing as other people's children. I feel like teachers are so malnourished right now. Mm, mm, and mm. Um, when I think about what I can do uh, and I think about the gifts that I was given, right? Mm, mm. I, I feel like the best thing that I can do is share the gifts that I was given with everyone else. And mm. you all are the greatest gifts. Mm. And so I wanted to start with you all first, because I feel like there's no me in this profession without all of you. So that's mm. why, that's why we're doing it. That's why I'm doing it. So Thanks. I just want to set that stage. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So let's start with the backstory, Mary, and some of this I know, but I'm excited to kind of hear more about your unique lens on our profession and and kind of share a bit about your growing up, your experience in school, and how that informed why you wanted to do the work that we do. Definitely. So I think the most important thing that I'd like to emphasize is the fact that neither my mother nor my father had a college education. Mm. So, so given their particular circumstances, they went to high school and entered the workforce directly from high school. Be it implicit, implied, directly stated, I'm not sure which, but I don't remember any time in my conscious life where the message from my parents was not education is important, education is critical, um, we put a high value on education, not only are you going to go next door, literally, to mm -hmm. the little private Catholic school in your mm -hmm. perfectly clean midi blouse and skirt, <laughs> And come back home every day for hot lunch. I didn't know what it meant to eat with other children, uh, which is possibly not a good thing. And that I would come home with A's. I mean, I don't remember there being any expectation other than absolute excellence. Wow. And I also never remember ever, ever, ever there being any notion that myself, my brother or my sister would not go to college. Mm -hmm. And the expectation, again, explicit or implied was that not only would we go to college, but we would do whatever additional post college work was necessary to procure a profession. Mm. And as I mentioned in the bio that I sent to you, they also chose our profession. So I was to be a teacher. My brother was to be an attorney and my sister was to be a nurse. And um, that was, I don't remember that I mean, so if someone asked me what I was going to be when I grew up, my mother and father could have answered because they ha they had a really clear concept. Later, when I talked about to you about what I learned from parents of students, um, not everyone had parents like I did, obviously, and so um, or not obviously, but just yeah. true. Yeah. And so, um, so I think that 
from an early age, I mean, that was my job was to go to school, to do well, um, not only my letter grades above the line, but all those grades below the line, deportment, you know, how you behaved. We actually mm. call it deportment then. I don't even think that's a word that's used in the common uh-uh. language today. No. And so the other thing was that um, it was a private Catholic school. So I still had nuns. Mm. And I remember specifically being in eighth grade with Sister Mary Euphrasia. I can actually see her in my mind as I'm talking to you. (laughs) And um, in English, we were learning to diagram sentences. My husband, who also went to Catholic school, had to learn to diagram sentences too. I don't, in your education, did you ever diagram a sentence? Not once. I know. Yes. So what can I tell you? (laughs) Um, So, I mean, you had the subject noun, you had the verb, you had the object, (laughs) you had the adverb that modified the verb, you had the adjective that modified the noun. Um, So you literally diagram sentences much the way that today you might write an algebraic formula. Wow. So there were kids who didn't get it, but I did. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I got it. Ooh, I love that. It was mm-hmm. precise. There was mm-hmm. a way to be right. There was a way to be wrong. There was no in between. Mm-hmm. You had to put the word where it belonged on the out- sentence outline mm-hmm. um, diagram. And so right. O- that my teachers started having me help teach the kids who weren't getting it. Mm. So I remember that I mean, the bottom line was that, Oh, this is something that you're good at. And what sister Mary Euphrasia was making me do in eighth grade went along with what my parents had already told me I was born to do, or at least what they thought I was born to do. Part of a Catholic education, wherever that was at, be it elementary school, be it high school, be it undergraduate college, um, was this concept of noblesse oblige. And that was that if you were privileged, um, then it was your obligation to act with generosity Mm -hmm. and nobility towards people who were less privileged than you were. Mm -hmm. So I think probably in a politically correct world, we don't talk about people being less privileged, mm-hmm. but um, that was very, very much ingrained in us. So the concept of justice, the concept of service, um, the concept of understanding that what you had was in fact um, a gift and a blessing. And with that came an obligation. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why when I ended up at San Lorenzo High, it was a much better fit than when I started out working at Mercy High School or private girls high school in San Francisco, because mm-hmm. I mean, I always said that their their Stanford application came with their birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, when I arrived at San Lorenzo High, it was like the concept of going to Stanford wasn't even in their imagination. No. So it was just a very, very different clientele. And it felt like a good fit for me based mm-hmm. on those comments I've already shared with you. That's the kind of Catholic church I was raised in too. And it's mm. so fascinating to me for folks who call themselves Catholic, who are not oriented to justice and service. Mm. Like I, it's no. almost like we don't know the same Jesus. You know what I mean? Why did your parents pick teacher for you? Did, was it out of the blue? Was it something they saw in you? I mean, it just feels so um, random. Mm, so it doesn't feel random because it's what I grew up with. Right. You know, I, I think that maybe potentially, you know, you're the older child, you know, Mm -hmm. so you're quote unquote in charge, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, so here's what I can remember. I mean, this is really sick. Seriously, we can be on this question for the next hour and a half. So (laughs) they would go out, right. And, um, I would be the babysitter in charge. Right. Okay. Okay. And so, so maybe that is part of that image of you're in charge of your brother and sister. You're the teacher, 
you're somewhat in charge of your students, or you would like to believe you're possibly in charge of what happens during that 60 minutes of right. with you. Um, <laughs> although possibly that's a fantasy as well. So yeah. in any event, <laughs> one of the things that I could never figure out was, you know, how did my mother make the strawberry milkshake? That's what I made. And, you know, cook the hamburger and, you know, boil the frozen peas. But that's what I got for dinner every time my mother and father went out. That was the dinner. And and trying to time those three things so they were done at the same time was, I thought, a challenge. But listen to this, Nicole. This is like S-I-C-K, capital SICK. Um, I would write a report, <gasps> written report at the end of every one of my babysitting duties for my brother and sister and leave it on my mother's vanity and stay awake in my bedroom until they came home so I could hear them read my report. <gasps> Is that what they wanted from you? Or you just did it out of like an over sense of obligation? It's what I did, right? And so, um, you know, like when my brother hit my sister when she tried to change the channel on the TV and he was in, you know, junior varsity basketball team and broke his hand and couldn't play basketball the rest of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I would write all that up. So I, so I just... Wow. And, I mean, it may be being a good student, you know, mm. you know, um, possibly as well. But you know what? Um, my recollection is all three of us were all the three of us went to graduate school and um, we're bright, we're capable. Right. Education was something that you were, quote unquote, required to do. So mm. I don't have any insights unless you ask me a question that brings one to mind. Yeah, it's so it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, cause we talked about parents and how the parents are not, not all parents were, are like your parents. So let's mm-hmm. just move to that question and have you tell me, what do you, what do you feel like something really important you learned from a parent or a family member? So a parent presented her name, herself in the library and said that she wanted to volunteer and help in the library. And it was like, whoa, whoa. I mean, the entire San Lorenzo high school PTA had six parents in it and they fit in a living room when they met. So <laughs> So here I was at San Lorenzo High and a parent wanted to volunteer in the library. And I was like ecstatic. And, yeah. you know, and she didn't want a, you know, necessarily upfront contact job working with kids, but she would come in and every week when she came, every book would get put away and wow. all the shelves would be straightened. It was like having a house cleaner come to your house for the day. It was like, uh-huh. wow, this is the most amazing, fabulous thing in the world. <laughs> and she stayed with me um, all four years. Um, while her daughter went to school there. Uh So what's fascinating is said parent homeschooled her children. She had a a daughter um, who was older and a son. She homeschooled them both. They would have gone to Hillside Elementary had they gone to a public school and to Edendale Men's School had they Mm -hmm. done that. So that's the Mm -hmm. the area of our geographic service zone that they lived in. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the, the son was not successful transitioning to to high school and revert it back to studying at home. Okay. But the daughter made it through all four years. She was a good student. Um, mm-hmm. And so when it was her senior year and it was time to apply to colleges, to me, it was a given. Of course, mm-hmm. she's going to go to college. Basically, treating her the same way my parents had treated me. Mm-hmm. You know, you've succeeded in school, you have the um, aptitude to do well. Um, of course. Um, the next step is college. Neither of her parents, as was the case in my situation, had gone to high school, to college themselves. Mm-hmm. So the whole process of p- applying for college, writing a college admission essay, taking an SAT, keeping on top of all the um, 
steps that were part of that process, I just took over. Mm. I took over. I remember spending hours with her on her admission essay until it was perfection and still mm -hmm. tried to respect her voice. So she applied and she got into UC Santa Cruz. Wow. And to me, that seemed like a perfect fit. You know, she was a little on that hippie, mm -hmm. free spirited side, mm -hmm. Santa Cruz being by the beach, mm -hmm. um, not that far from home, mm -hmm. all seemed like really good options. Yeah. So I can't tell you right this second, whether she dropped out after one year or halfway through her second year, but she dropped out. Mm. And so, you know, to me, it was wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. To me, it was a personal failure mm -hmm. to me. You know, why weren't her parents, you know, having a conniption fit, mm -hmm. but they weren't, they mm -hmm. weren't, mm -hmm. they weren't. And so they embraced her. They accepted her decision. They, she moved um, from Santa Cruz up to Truckee where she still lives. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still friends with the mom. She, um, got a job, you know, working like it as a barmaid or cocktail hostess. Now she works in an organic food store because the bars of, are primarily shut down because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so I realized that I was being very judgmental, mm. um, you know, that I view that as a lesser path. I, I view that as um, you were capable of more mm -hmm. and, you, you settled for le for something that that I would on my hierarchy scale yeah. put down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so what it taught me when you said, what did I learn from my parent is that I don't know what's right for every student that comes to San Lorenzo High. Mm. Possibly, I don't even know 100% what's right for either of my own children. Mm -hmm. And even though I sometimes like to pretend that I know what's right for my grandchildren, <laughs> the younger one likes to remind me that I am over-involved. And oh. she's, she's quite convinced that I should volunteer at her school where there might be some other child that would appreciate my interventions. <laughs> she doesn't. Right. Yes. So, so, so in any event, I think what I learned from that parent was that, um, you know, it's important to respect the child's own agency mm -hmm. to make decisions about their life. When I was first teaching, I had a student who could fix talk about archaic my overhead projector, mm. you know, his report card grades were really poor. The deed that I gave him in English was a gift. Mm. It wasn't like he even earned it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I went to that reunion of that class 40 some odd years later, I talked about him because mm. I felt like nothing in the educational system that I was part of or his report card talked about his vocational aptitude. Yeah. And he had him and he had him. Yeah. And we didn't honor that. We didn't respect that. He didn't get a grade on his report card that said A plus 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 because I can fix anything that my teacher breaks. Yeah, that's mechanical in my classroom or like Tommy coming down today and trying to help with the audio. Yeah. So I believe that what I learned from that parent is that the ability to nurture, to put out possibilities, but to not insist or mm that I knew the path mm -hmm. that that person, be it my student, my child, my grandchild should take. Mm -hmm. And that if they chose a path that was different than the one that I dreamed for them, mm -hmm. that I love them unconditionally, no matter what. Mm. God, that's so beautiful. That's so healing, Mary, from your own experience, I would imagine. 
think so. I feel like our, our kids are our greatest teachers. I really do believe that. So I'm wondering what lesson you've taken away that you really remember and hold dear from a student. So I had no problem at all thinking about who I would speak to. So I'm going to, again, give him a make-believe name because need to do that. So Luis came to San Lorenzo High School having been expelled from New Haven Unified School District. Okay. And he was expelled because of gang activity. Mm-hmm. He was, by our standards in those days, still pretty heavily tattooed with gang mm-hmm. tattoos. And they needed to place him. And so he became one of the, his six periods in the day was being an inside work experience student for me. Mm. And so he came and standard Mary Milton Monday morning. <laughs> um, so how was your weekend, Luis? Mm. What did you do this weekend? And he would just look at me and say, you don't want to know what I did this weekend. Mm. You, you seriously don't want to know. And so I said, well, I'm going to take you at your word and you're not going to tell me what you did this weekend. Mm-hmm. And one time we were talking and for some unknown reason, I don't know how it came up in conversation. He said that his favorite place on the planet was Lake Alpine, which was one of my favorite places on the, on the planet. It's yeah. this absolutely gorgeous lake up off Highway 4 in the Sierras. And so it was like, wow. So here you are, expelled, gang activity, New Haven, totally involved still in gangs, now coming to San Lorenzo High. And you, you know, a sophomore and junior in high school, and me, you know, um, in my 40 mom, mm-hmm. um, have a place that we're spiritually connected and tied to that we have something we both care about. Not long after, um, he would end up expelled from our district as well. Oh God. And, um, but a really popular book, which you may remember from your earlier days in teaching was a book called always running by yes. Luis Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And so I was successful in getting Luis Rodriguez to come to San Lorenzo high school. And he offered to give two presentations for me in M1, mm-hmm. um, to two, auditoriums full of students. Mm-hmm. So um, I talked to the, the man who was the junior varsity basketball coach mm-hmm. at San Lorenzo High because he was the uncle of this particular student. Oh. And so I said to him, you know, the deal that I made with Luis Rodriguez is I have to drive to Santa Cruz and pick him up and bring mm-hmm. him back to San Lorenzo High. Mm-hmm. At the end of his two afternoon presentations, someone is coming from the mission district in San Francisco to pick him up and bring him to the mission where he's going to do a presentation tonight. Because by then, Luis Rodriguez lived permanently in Chicago, where he mm-hmm. still worked with, with gangs, trying mm-hmm. to get kids out of gangs, make a, make a difference. Mm-hmm. So the uncle did. The uncle got the student you know, my student, his nephew, and the kid drove with me to Santa Cruz. Wow. We went with Luis Rodriguez for lunch and we drove back. I bought him a copy of the book. The Luis autographed the book for him and the kid was resentful as hell. Oh. And so he sat in the back seat of the car, slumped over, body language, didn't talk. Um, no, thank you, Mrs. Milton. Um, you know, somebody made me do this. Um, I resent you right? Mm. Seemingly, at least that's how I felt. That's how I felt. Yeah. So I said, oh, well, you know, in my little Cinderella fantasy world, it was going to be the magic wand, which which clearly it wasn't, or at least did not appear to be. Some years later, a student came into the library and just walked over to my desk and put on my desk a photograph of a little girl. And I was like, well, hi. So you're you're giving me this because Mm -hmm. um, it's Luis's child. He has a little girl and he wanted me to bring this to you so you would know that he had a daughter and have a picture of her. 
And I was like, okay. So went on my bulletin board along with my prom pictures. About 10 years later, I'd say at least 10 years, I was shopping, not at my normal Safeway, but the Safeway on Foothill Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And I went down the beverage aisle and there was this man loading like Coca-Cola's, Coke's bottles, cans onto the shelf. And I looked at him and I was like, makes me cry. Made me cry yesterday too, Mm. when I tried to practice. (laughs) It's okay. And, And so I said, wow, I think that's, that's that kid. So I, you know, went to another aisle and then came back. okay and I said um are you who I think you are and he said yes Mm. and he said are you who I think you are Mm -hmm. and I also said yes and um he said to me it's all good Mm. you know I have a steady job I'm married I'm raising that little girl I sent you a picture of. It's all good. Oh my God. So what I learned from him was that, that not the rest of the time will I cry. It's okay. What I learned from him was that when you go into the classroom, when you go to your job, when you go to teach in our case, um, I went every day with the attitude that um, I'm here to make a difference in someone's life. And I will behave as though I am that difference. Mm -hmm. And I may not be, but what I learned is that, I'm tapping the thing again. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You don't need to know that you made the difference. Mm I was yeah, luck, I was lucky years and years later to find out that perhaps in that case I had. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you made the difference isn't critical to mm-hmm. going to work wanting to make the difference. Yeah, yeah, because it's not about us, right? No, it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, Lake Alpine. That's such a lovely story. I am so glad you shared that. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me about um, your experience, either being mentored as a young educator or Mm. mentoring others or learning from, you know, so much with time we think about mentors are are our elders and they are for sure. But I'm I'm guessing because you're constantly curious and always a learner Mm. that you learned from those who came after you as well. So tell me about some of that. So I'm starting, I'm going to start out with people who mentored me who were elders. So okay. I still, I still remember his name. I would imagine by now is deceased. So it's probably okay to say his name. Sure. Um, but um, so I went to San Francisco state. I was teaching for my first three years out of college and I decided I needed to get my master's in English. Mm-hmm. And I had started the program at San Francisco state. I had a professor, his name was professor Halperin. And he took me aside one day and said, sweetheart, you need to come up with game plan B. Uh-oh. And I, I said, I need to come up with game plan B. And he said, yeah, you do. He said, because guess what? You have set the bar so high for what it means to be a great teacher that um, you're never going to have any balance between life and work. That's all you're going to do. 
Mm -hmm. teaching is eternal and you'll be teaching eternally. Mm -hmm. And if you have anything else you want to do with your life, you know, get married, become a parent, have a hobby, have a craft, pursue a physical goal and um, a a sport, um, it's not going to happen because this is where the bar is. And this, it takes an inordinate amount of time and energy from you to keep your performance and your level of excellence at that level. Mm -hmm. So I was young, again, talking about being mentored by someone who was older. So I discounted what he had to say. I was Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, what does he know? I Mm -hmm. mean, I'm just a student in his class. I mean, what is he picking up on? So a couple of years later, one of my, um, a parent that I knew I was friends with their older daughter asked me to come stay at their home, beautiful home on the coast of Moss beach with their two high school students, my friends, younger brother and sister, significantly, there was a big gap and they're having children. Mm -hmm. And so I I did, I went after work, I would leave my job and I went there and I had to make sure they had dinner, they did their homework, they practiced their piano. And so pretty soon my students were saying to me, but Mrs. Milton, you said you were going to go to our basketball game. But Mrs. Milton, you said that um, you were going to have our essays corrected by Friday. Mrs. Milton, you said that we were going to get to tie-dye t-shirts as soon as we finished reading John Steinbeck's Red Pony. And none of those three things have happened this week. Mm. And they hadn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of at that point that I came to the realization that Professor Halperin, elder, mm-hmm. was right, was right. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't figured out balance and my standards were such that I wasn't going to lower the bar in where would that leave me in terms of that life work balance. Yeah. So you would like to think that by going back and getting my master's in library science, becoming a school librarian, ultimately where I met you at San Lorenzo High, that I would have figured that out because mm-hmm. I had someone who was older than me tell me it was an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, as my husband pointed out to me, and we had two small children at home, it was still an issue. Mm-hmm. I was working until, you know, 5, 5.30 at night. He was putting dinner on the table. I was going back to the high school and working on Saturday. And so I was like, I got to figure this out. So this goes back to the elders. Mm-hmm. So I identified the five teachers that I most respected on the San Lorenzo High School faculty. And these were people who, in my opinion, never went into the classroom unprepared, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who carefully um, corrected, if you want to use that word, kids' essays or tests, mm-hmm. um, were involved in extracurricular activities, maybe they coached a sport, um, but they really cared about their job. And by my evaluation, also had really high standards for being excellent. And I believe they were. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed all five teachers. <laughs> I know. And I asked them, <laughs> how many hours they worked beyond their student contact hours. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter to me whether they did it early in the morning, whether they did it late at night, uh, whether they stayed after school, whether they worked on the weekend. I didn't really care how they structured it. I just needed to know how many hours beyond student contact time they put in. Mm-hmm. And that became my bar. Mm. And I decided that's how many hours I'm working every week at my job. Wow. And so if I if they can be excellent, and work that many hours beyond student contact. I need to learn to be excellent excellent by limiting my hours to the same number of hours they put in. Mm-hmm. And I kept that throughout my career at San Lorenzo High. And when I went to the district office, I still maintained that's how many hours I work each day or wow. each week, a week, so I could average it out. Yeah. So I, th- I think those are good examples of things that I learned from elders. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the, uh, um, what I the question you have is about working with people who were younger than I. And so 
I think I, probably one of the greatest gifts that I had as a high school librarian was the fact that during my career, especially once I became district librarian, mm-hmm. um, there were several teachers in the school district who opted to follow my path, which was leave the classroom, get your master's in library science and become a school librarian. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I guess that's more my opportunity to interact with juniors, as it were, or to also become, I had been mentored and to now mentor as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was thinking, preparing for you this morning, that ironically, the two of my, you know, <laughs> stars, um, you know, I'm seeing one um, for lunch on Thursday, and I'm getting together with a second one on Saturday. So they're mm-hmm. like lo- lifelong relationships. And mm-hmm. some of it was just practical, practical information. You know, how do you enter a mark record machine readable catalog um, into the computer? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do the fields and subfields and tags mean? But it was also just the passion, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ability to share with someone else um, a passion that I felt and to just be the cheerleader who couldn't possibly be more excited mm. that people who were already, in my opinion, stellar classroom teachers were going to now become, and they are to this day, mm-hmm. stellar um, school librarians. Mm. And then I guess the other person is in that boat, but we both know her too, is a third person who I still am in her book club. Yeah. Talk, talk. <laughs> so we'll allow her to go and name because she can listen. <laughs> um, but again, you know, she, she was, you know, she was very, she taught there. She had, you know, she was incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt really grateful that she shared with me not all that long ago, actually, um, the admissions essay that she wrote to get into the program at San Jose State saying that she just wanted to be me mm-hmm. that you know I was what excellence meant to her yeah yeah she's amazing she is amazing <laughs> yeah she is and you know I I hope there, there's a theme here that I'm hearing mm-hmm. um one being these impossible standards of perfection and learning oh my gosh how, help us all yeah And then the other thing is this notion of you recognizing Mm -hmm. the impact that you have on people um, Mm -hmm. and really receiving it, Mary, really, really allowing yourself to receive the extraordinary gifts that are just mirrored back that you've given other people. No, it's... I I thank you for that. I mean, you're the one that told me to read Brain Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Both of those, right? Right. Speaking of the need to mentor. Okay. Keep going, right? Okay. Um, So talk to me about the hardest thing you've had to learn as a teacher. What's, I mean, is it this idea of letting go of perfection? And yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that in our conversation that it's evolving to that question because Mm -hmm. based on are the things we've been saying, that's probably pretty, pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, my very first point underneath that question is the idea of magnifying successes and not focusing on failures. Mm. And I remember when 
I became district librarian. I had to participate or was required into this mm-hmm. new, te- new teacher institute every year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the instructional materials and technology center where my office was, they had, I don't know, the die cut thing, you yeah. know, punch, yeah. punches out that straw man. Um, <laughs> and also we had the laminator, you know, uh-huh. that, you know, laminated it. And then we had, you know, the, we actually had like the poster board and paper and all that stuff too, because teachers would come in, particularly elementary teachers, and create classroom supplies. So when I did my new teacher institute, I used the die cut to punch out a microscope mm-hmm. and mounted that microscope, black microscope, yellow piece of paper, laminated them. <laughs> um, poster board, I know, so disgustingly perfectionist. And so, um, and handed them out and said, um, if I could teach you any one thing besides some information literacy skills um, in this orientation or how to make the best use of your school library, it's to go home at the end of the day, take your most minute success, mm-hmm. put it underneath the microscope and blow it up. Mm, I love that. And, yeah. And so that's why I'm giving you the microscope. The other thing that I think um, was really hard to come to is that to understand that you, I personally, Mary Milton can't be everything for every student. Mm -hmm. And there was a teacher who was unfortunately incredibly unpopular um, with us more liberated females. Um, (laughs) Again, we'll allow the person to go on names. We will, we will, we will. But but, but we could use initials in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Also deceased, but still probably not the best thing to put on a podcast. And so, (laughs) you know, I mean, he told me that one day. I mean, sometimes all of us can be wise. He too. And so he came in one day and he said, what I want you to realize, you know, because I was so gun ho damn. Right. Is that, um, you're not the only person who works here. Wow. And that there is a janitor, there's a cafeteria worker, there's an assistant principal, there's a chemistry teacher, there is a math teacher, and just trust in your little heart of hearts, which I wanted to believe was a big heart of hearts, mm-hmm. that there is someone there for that kid that that is it for them, mm-hmm. who who's holding that kid in their pocket, in their heart, in their hand. You're not it for every kid. There are 75 of us, and each of us is carrying kids. You're not carrying every kid. Oh my God. I can't believe that man of all people said that. That's extraordinary. Don't you think so? Yes. Don't you think so? I do. I thought so. Wow. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is, that is such an important lesson for us. Right. I think, um, maybe it was Pam who said something similar in that, you know, the, the child has six teachers a day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, not all six of them are going to be their favorite. Right. Right. So, and, and, and the kid maybe has a coach in after school sports, you know, maybe has a boss at a job, yeah. you know, maybe has an extra neighbor. And so I mean, I think that that, um, that I can think was a hard thing to learn that mm-hmm. I wasn't it for every kid that went to San Lorenzo high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, the other thing is the last comment on that question is that, um, that there are particularly in the case of that student body, life circumstances that I can't change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I remember having one student who was losing his teeth. And when I contacted the school nurse and she took him to Fairmont Hospital, she came back and she said he was losing his baby teeth. And I was like, but he's 14. And she said, it's the first time in his life that he has enough nutrition for his adult teeth to come in. Oh my God. Wow. 
Another child who was, both of these children were IWEs inside Rick Experience. Another child worked at the fast food restaurant up the street. Um, her dad was unemployed. They were really struggling. There were times that I knew they were living in the car, in their family car. And she had saved together $400 um, from her job at the fast food restaurant because she wanted her younger sister, who was a junior, to be able to go to the prom. Oh, Jesus. And the money was to pay for the dress, the ticket, the pictures, you know. Um, and her father took the $400. <gasps> oh, my God. You know, so your heart breaks because, again, these are circumstances that you can't fix. Um, but however, how amazing that that's what they're living with, you know or, you know, some of those stories are so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one specific student who likewise, um, I'll just use Mike, cause that's probably safe. Um, that is his real name. Um, he was a junior in US history, um, but um, the baseball coach came to me and said, you know, he's got a really crappy home life. Um, he's, that, you know, he struggles academically. It's not really his skill set. but guess what, Mary? baseball is. Mm. And this kid has every possibility of getting drafted out of high school to mm. a professional team, at least a minor, if not major. Um, he has to successfully write a U.S. history term paper to pass that class. He needs to have the 2.0 to play. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, Mike came to me every day at break. Mm. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, that was our commitment to each other. Mm -hmm. And he had to show me a little piece, mm -hmm. five note cards. Mm -hmm. We took note cards then. Yes. And, um, or that, you know, a new source or that he had read a chapter in the source or that he had created a bibliographic citation mm -hmm. or he'd written the introductory paragraph. Mm -hmm. He even had to call me on the weekend at home or I called him rather to say what he had done that day. Mm -hmm. So every day it was a little piece, a little piece, a little piece, a little piece until there was a US history term paper. Mm -hmm. By the way, on um, the Negro baseball leagues, he happened to be African-American himself. Mm -hmm. So again, you try and find a topic that maybe, maybe he can relate to. Mm -hmm. So the teacher refused to believe that he'd written the paper. Oh my God. And so that was yet another battle, but I said, I swear to you, I did hold his hand, I did. Mm -hmm. But he he made the commitment. He never missed a day. Mm -hmm. He never missed a day, seven days a week. And he did get drafted. And wow. on my bulletin board in my office was his baseball card from the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. It happens. Right? It's amazing. But you know what I love about that, Mary, is that you, you it's like the ultimate warm demander, right? Mm -hmm. No, I, I'm not going to write this for you. Mm -mm. I'm not going to pass you because mm -hmm. you have a fancy baseball potential. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put in 20 minutes a day, every day. And we're going to do this together. You're going to get there. Yeah. And, and the lessons that you taught him in that about what he's capable of mm -hmm. is so much more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. I love oh. that. Okay. I love Done. it. All right. What, uh, how has teaching strengthened other parts of your job uh, or other parts of your life? So um, I, I love that question, by the way. Um, I think that in truth, I, that part of that lifelong learner piece is mm -hmm. that 
I want to learn every, but every bit as much as I want to teach. So I think the two go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because I I think that a desire to learn um, coupled with a desire to teach what you've learned Mm -hmm. and a desire to never stop learning. And in reality, sorry for the people next to me in the bus stand, never stop teaching either. <laughs> I know I was in line at Safeway the other day and this guy, this oh, lucky sack, no Safeway. And the guy is talking to this kid's daughter and he goes, you were a teacher, right? And, I go, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, how do you know? And he goes, you haven't stopped asking my daughter questions since we got in line. And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, when my mom had Alzheimer's, as you know, um, I was participated in the Alzheimer support group for eight and a half years. And so I find now that again, I learned so much from the people who taught me how best to cope with my mother's dementia, um, that that's like a lifelong learning that has made me a lifelong teacher. Mm -hmm. So now now I'm involved in conversations with people who likewise have a parent or a loved one who's facing that struggle and helping them with what are their caregiver survivor skills. And I think that really important thing when I was talking to my husband about this question yesterday is that, you know, having worked at San Lorenzo High, which was a highly diversified student body mm-hmm. and drastically different from that little elementary Catholic girls, not girls, it was co-ed, but my high school was co- not co-ed in Burlingame. I mean, San Lorenzo High could not have been further away from mm-hmm. my world, from my upbringing. And so I think that my ability to be more socially conscious, more respectful of people whose lives do not mirror or match or even closely resemble my own Mm -hmm. is incredibly important. And hopefully I carry that into my own community. So for example, you know, I mean, maybe there was a time that when we were having a prom or the senior ball, combined in our case, and, you know, someone would say, you know, oh, you know, I, I finally got a date. And maybe I would say to the young man, you know, well, what's her name? Mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that anymore. Yeah. 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 I, I wouldn't presume that your date was the, a different sex. Yeah. I wouldn't presume that your life partner. I also, when I went to um, do a library, you know, up at the Miwok tribe, and I would say things like, you know, well, it's important that we have a part of the library that's Native American. And they would look at me, this one gentleman in particular who was in charge of cultural education for the tribe, Carlos, I named him. Mm-hmm. Uh, trust me, he won't listen to this podcast. And so uh, anyway, you know, Carlos just said to me, what part of Native am I? And mm-hmm. what part of American am I? Neither. Mm-hmm. And so he said, we are Indigenous people you know, please, in your conversation, your dialogue, in labeling the section of the library, honor us as indigenous people. Do not refer, do not refer to us as Native Americans. So I think that, um, you know, working in that diversified environment, or, or again, you know, when I, I remember at one point, there were 17 foreign languages at, at spoken at San Lorenzo High. Yeah. And we, we had a database of, if you were talking to someone and you could not get, communicate who was someone else who had been there longer, who had a better mastery of English that you could contact to come and help, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the communication. So I mean, again, I mean, to just move beyond that presumption that everyone speaks English, that everyone is heterosexual, that Mm -hmm. everyone, I mean, and and how do you want to be called? I mean, what do you want? I mean, I, I remember we used to, we had a a Pam Wilson, as a matter of fact, had a challenging, um, 
assignment where they had to come to the library and pick a folklore or a fairy tale Mm -hmm. um, that was their favorite. And potentially because of the moral, I mean, because Mm. sometimes fairy tales and folklore had morals, Um, they were teaching tools. And then, you know, looking at who, what was the population that attended San Lorenzo High in terms of its diversity? And how did I find folklore and fairy tale that represented those diverse cultures Mm. so that they weren't all coming in and picking the little mermaid Um, because that wasn't a piece of folklore or fairy tale from their own culture. I want to just get your perspective on our, uh, our malbs and our time together in Yosemite. Um, the season one is just the malbs. That's it. Uh, and, um, I'm interviewing all of you except for Judy and Barb who didn't feel like they could. Um, so, uh, I, I just, you know, just any reflections on that experience under the, under the, umbrella of mentorship or not, you know? Well, I I actually do have strong feelings on everything, as you may have noticed. And so, (laughs) no, no milk toast. So um, what I want to say is that I think that the foundation of any kind of mentoring, um, be it in this case, how we teach, right? Or you and I spoke earlier this morning about setting boundaries or Mm -hmm. having balance or maybe not being so driven by perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, I think any and all mentoring is based on the fact that there is in place and is built upon um, our relationship. Mm -hmm. And so in order to be someone that I will listen to or who perhaps will listen to me or who will share intimately being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's because you have established a relationship and a relationship takes time. Mm -hmm. And a relationship to me involves not judging and being actually being willing to be vulnerable and willing to be intimate and willing to listen. And I think that as a group, I believe we created that, mm-hmm. you know, on any given year. And I don't want to use examples because again, potentially we all actually will listen to this podcast. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, so at any given point, each of us came to Wawona with a crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not always was the crisis related to our careers. Although sometimes it was, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it wasn't like we didn't talk about our school, our classroom, our teaching experience. Of course we did. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were also personal crises. Mm -hmm. And because we were in a trusting, nurturing community with a history, Mm -hmm. then that was possible. Yeah. So I think that um, that is not to be underestimated. Mm -hmm in any way, manner, shape, or form. And I don't know for you, I shouldn't speak for you and I won't speak for you. Some things I have learned in life um, (laughs) is that um, I don't think it's different in terms of working with students or working with our colleagues. Um, And when I actually ended up in an administrative position, not my favorite, but did end up there, Mm -hmm. um, that I don't think I could have been successful if I hadn't already worked at 
communicating to that individual, be it a student, a colleague, or a friend, that I cared about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that I accepted them. And that in those examples we talked about earlier in this conversation, I was there to listen. I was there to respect their story. They could trust me Mm -hmm. to not share their story and break their confidentiality with others. And that if I've learned this, I don't think I was always good at this, that if they want my input, I'm going to give it, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be married to them acting on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as we think about, there's two, there's a question that I'm asking everybody at the end of -hmm. our conversations. And that's this idea of what your special piece is. Mm -hmm. So many people think, or at least say, you know, if, if, if schools just did X or if, you know, if we had the money to do Y and there's really not one thing, right. Mm -hmm. I really Mm -hmm. think about And maybe this is kind of the spiritual piece we were talking about earlier, but we've all been given our own little puzzle piece, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to all put our puzzle pieces down and all work together to feel like how we're going to make this, this mosaic, I guess, of, of, of a successful and healthy school. So part of what I want people to think about is like, what's your piece? What's, Mm -hmm. what's the special thing that you bring to our work? Mm-hmm. That if, if everybody put their special piece down, yours would be this. What do you think yours is? You know, I had to think, I do have to think about that one. Um, you know, it was interesting. My husband yesterday goes, well, your piece is, you know, being the librarian because, you know, that's really, you think, an important part of a, any school campus and doesn't necessarily, that's not a given. But that's not how I interpret your question, however. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that as we referenced just two seconds ago, um, I really am a problem solver. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really like to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I really do like to come up with solutions. I really do like to share resources or strategies that either I already know about or I can find out about to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And pray God, um, I do it with a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I can asking the questions to try and really zero in on what is the issue? What is it that the person wants? What is it that they need? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's part of that Jesuit training mm. um, of being um, logical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really trained in logic thinking or in steps. Um, mm-hmm. If A and B are true, then, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that that is a piece that probably is um pretty unique to me um i also feed people food so Mm -hmm. and you do it beautifully so yeah so feeding people could be a piece piece if we had a meeting i could feed people but that's probably (laughs) you feed them in lots of ways and i think maybe that's the essence you know i think that's really lovely so this has been fun yes thank you exhausting so i when you one of the sheets that i printed from you talked about my favorite song it's yes my new favorite song is the one i sent you the holly near song i loved it where i'm open and i'm willing to be hopeless would seem so strange yes yeah and so you nicole are full of hope i don't remember a time in your life when you ever weren't Mm, that's such a nice thing to say thank you it's true what you're doing is helpful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, it is, it is, it is. I was telling John yesterday, I said, she's trying to keep people who are good in the classroom, in schools that are hard to stay in. Yeah, yeah. That's and exactly I, right. and so I said, um, that's why I think that song, I'm open and I'm willing to be hopeless would seem so strange. And I mentioned it because of your mob connection to dishonor those who go before us. That's why it would it would be so strange because if you didn't if you weren't hopeful, it wouldn't honor That's the right. people the people who have mentored you to go into that with hope. And as you continue in that song, may the children see more clearly, and may the elders be more wise. Mm. Um, I that's my song. Oh my god, it's so perfect! It's so perfect and so beautiful. I can't wait to. Um... I'll put the lyrics on with the transcript and the yeah yeah when you said what to read and then we can end um which is really hard right um even though it burns our eyes so here's the last four lines okay. give me a mighty oak to hold my confusion give me a desert to hold my fears give me a sunset to hold my wonder and give me an ocean to hold my tears mm -hmm. You're the best. You're the best. How are you? Mm, I love you. I love you too. <sighs> okay. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. My hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include copy room conversations under that banner. For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.